Welcome to the Invino Fab podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Patrice. Invino Fabulum means in wine story. And there are so many tales that need to be told about women from all walks of life and their communities, paired with wine, of course. The Invino Fab pod is a place to learn and a space to share stories about work, interests, passion projects, issues, and random wine facts. On this episode of Invino Fab, we welcome Marcy Walton, who spent more than a decade crafting learning experiences for students and staff at colleges and universities throughout the U.S. Through these professional opportunities, she realized her strengths and skills, which led her to a second master's degree, making a leap out of higher ed to corporate learning development. She recently started as a training consultant, and she works for a provider that does employee assistance programs. She provides learning opportunities for thousands of employees throughout the world to live happier, healthier, and more productive lives. In her free time, she enjoys bullet journaling, traveling, spoiling her niece and being entertained by her two French bulldogs. Well, Marcy, we are so thrilled to have you join us for an episode of In Vino Fab Pod. Thanks for taking some time of your day to chat. Excellent. I am so excited to be here and chat all things higher ed and transitioning out and everything in between. I love it. Um, Marcy and I had a conversation before and I've said in her bio kind of what she's doing and what she's world, the world she's in is similar to mine is training development, human resource development. What's one unique fact that you may not include in your bio typically or some that someone couldn't find out about <laughs> you online? Oh my gosh. Uh, thinking of how much of a dork I want to out myself as. Yes, um, please. Why not? Um, there's a pandemic. There's no need for um, my ego. Um, I think something that people would know maybe if they did a little bit of research, but I have run a Twitter account for my dog for the past eight years, I think, like, before anybody had an Instagram account for their dog, like I had Twitter. Um, So he hit he is at res life puppy, I spent almost all of my career in residence life in higher ed. Um, So it's through sort of like the lens and the thought process of a dog living in a residence hall. Um, And he recently uh, retired as I have moved out of rest life and student affairs. um, The account is now just the dog. Um, So he's officially in retirement, which I think is kind of fun. I love that. First of all, because it's rare that you have a, our allowance to have a pet in residence and Mm -hmm. to, it sounds like your pups was an influencer on the Twitter before that was even a thing. What's your puppy's real name? His real name is Ignatius. Um, so he is named after the um, Spanish Jesuit founder of the Jesuits, St. Ignatius of Loyola. Uh, he's Iggy for short. And then <laughs> let me think three years ago, almost four years ago, I got another one, another dog um, named Francis because Ignatius and Francis were college roommates and they founded the Jesuits together. Um, so it's Iggy and Frank. Um, and if I get a third one somewhere, he'll be Peter Faber, who was also part of the trio that founded the Jesuits. I've only worked at Jesuit higher ed before this new job. Um, so definitely going to keep that lineage going. That's a fantastic bit of history nugget knowledge. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Well, the reason I had uh, reached out to you initially was because you had this magical color-coded spreadsheet <laughs> and I love me some data and can get nerdy with that. It's called the Higher Ed Adjacent Career Tracker. And I was like, what's up with this? Um, and it's essentially an open spreadsheet we'll put in the show notes of different um, tabs and included consulting, ed tech, job search board. And I was like, what is this? I really need to bring Marcy on to talk about it. So please tell me about your data collection and uh, what yeah. this was all about. 
Yes, I'm excited to tell everybody how I can nerd out over a spreadsheet and some color coding. Um, so I started my job search. I knew I wanted to get out of, for sure, out of residence life, but definitely um, maybe higher ed um, about a year, a little more than a year ago. Um, I graduated in May 2020 with a second master's degree. That's all about, um, you know, employee engagement, development, training, adult learning, and really just sort of like felt myself come alive. Um, and then really, really started searching. Um, I felt like I couldn't leave my job during pandemic, like real, real talk of, you know, I wasn't going to leave um, March of last year when we didn't know anything. Um, so as I started searching, I would see a job posted often in um frankly, a Facebook group. Um, there's a great Facebook group for people who are thinking about of student affairs. So people would post a job and I would see something at like an ed tech company of like, well, I, I'm, I can't be an account manager. I don't have that experience or, oh my God, no, I'm not a coder. Absolutely not. Um, but this employer looks interesting. Um, this uh, nonprofit looks cool. I didn't know that this consulting firm even existed. So I started tracking um, the, the places, the organizations, as opposed to just the jobs. And then when I was really in my search, um, I was going to those sites directly, uh, pretty much on a, a once a week basis. And what I found, and I never would have thought about this without that tracker, is so many non-higher ed jobs don't post to um, job search boards. So like there were jobs and positions that I applied for that never once showed up on LinkedIn, Indeed, or what's the other one I always go to? Oh, Idealist. They never once showed up. If I hadn't gone directly to their HR site, I never would have known about it, including the job that I have now. Um, so I just really wanted all of, frankly, all of that time and effort and energy to not go to waste. Um, so decided to share it out. And that's uh, where we find ourselves today. This is great. I love that you're thinking about an organization because people always think about like, what's your next thing? And it doesn't have, you don't have to be defined by a role, but mm -hmm. where you go to in the place really says like, how can I grow and what can I do? Um, what did you learn as you started looking at these organizations? Like what were some things that you were considering that might be helpful for listeners to think about if they're on the same trajectory and searching? Absolutely. Um, I think something maybe not super practical, but very real is that I, I, I grew up in the Midwest and I had, I got like three servings of Midwestern guilt when they were doling them out for babies. So I was feeling a lot of feelings about leaving higher ed as somehow higher ed is the only way that you can help people. Um, I was feeling a lot of guilt around it of, you know, if I go work at a corporation, I'm like, am I now the problem? Am I now just, you know, this capitalist that just cares about money and like, I mean, money is a part of it. I got a huge raise in this and that, you know, allows me to do, um, you know, social justice and activism in a different way. So a lot of the things that I was working through was about going from really mission-driven institutions to what I thought were not mission-driven just because they weren't higher ed. Um, so as I was looking at companies and organizations, it was really important to still apply for places that aligned at least somewhat with my personal values of helping people and holistic development and, you know, 
uh, one of the, just to go back to the Jesuits, one of the phrases is, where can your skills and talents meet the world's greatest needs? Um, and how can you sort of have that, you know, Venn diagram is where you kind of find your calling. Um, so as I was looking at organizations, they still needed to be about something. Um, you know, it could be ed tech because you're still helping students, um, you know, complete their college coursework. It could be a nonprofit because obviously, you know, lots of nonprofits do great things. Um, it could be a corporation that is still helping in some sense. So, you know, you're not going to find, um, you know, Wells Fargo on that list because that didn't align with me. It, it, not to say people who work in banking are, you know, terrible people, um, but the list is really about things that are about something um, for me as I was going through my search. I love that you really personalized it. And a couple of things you said there is just because you leave a place and whether our listeners are listening from all around the world, they may or may not be in higher ed, but they might really align with their current org's values. And maybe they've just outgrown it. You can take mm-hmm. those values and those um, what you hold true to your own missions, personal mission statement and go and look for it in your next role. Also, I do want to point out to our higher ed friends, you're still in industry. You're just sometimes a poorly run one. We'll, we'll learn in the coming year. No, oh I, I have lots of love for my friends in academia and higher ed around the world. And I do think these are some trying times where we're going to have to talk about real talk on financially where money goes and how money mm-hmm. flows, especially as there's going to be some restructuring around globe. We're talking about in probably more U.S. context now because that's where both Marcy and I are situated. But this is going to happen globally and really impact and shake some of us up. So you've done some of the initial work on reflecting of what are my values about and where might I find that somewhere else? I think that's mm-hmm. really a really good point to point out to our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like folks that are in mission-driven work, whether that be, you know, a nonprofit or higher ed or, or something else, sort of get these like do-gooder handcuffs um, that, they have guilt around of like, this is the only place that I can do good work in the world. And this job search has really made me realize that is not true. Um, um, I, I, talking with a friend who's also at another mission-driven institution, um, sort of like mission-driven, like brainwashing almost to a certain extent of like, this is where good work happens and you can do good work here. And not only can you only do it here, but we're going to pay you so poorly because it's about the mission. Um, And like the mission doesn't, doesn't pay my mortgage. Um, And I think that's an okay realization. Um, And it also doesn't undo the good work that I have done for and with students for the past 13 years. Like I, the amount of congratulations I got were double from students that I have worked with than, than any other like bucket of people. Um, So it, the good work that you've done doesn't leave when you do. Yeah. And I, I love that you're carrying your own missions forward. I think every organization has a mission, regardless if they say they're mission based or they've they've got some values that underpin what they do. Um, Part of what it was interesting talking about in your kind of quest to figuring out it, it sounds like you started kind of upscaling in an area um, as a former res lifer. I know there's a constant need to train and retrain and do new training and all that. What led you yourself into the area of human resource development and training itself? Sure. Sure. So I, um, 
I like to say that I am born and bred in education. Um, my mom worked in schools. My brother is a professor. My uncle was a teacher. My, let me think, my aunt is a principal. My grandpa was a superintendent. So, you know, talking about like standardized testing and IEPs and lesson plans was just sort of like in my life. Um, so I, when I went to college, I thought I was going to be a teacher realized I did not have the patience necessary to work with first graders. Um, but that idea of, you know, a really good presenter or really good trainer is just a really great teacher. Um, and so I think those skills carried me through. So I have my educational background. I have a bachelor's in early childhood education. I have a master's in college student personnel and another master's in human resource development, which is adult learning. So I like to say that I understand how people learn and grow from birth to death and like everything in between. Um, so I was really lucky that my, um, my university had the program. So I was like, well, hey, it's free. Like maybe I'll pick up some things that are good with my, that'll help me in my job. Um, but then once I got in and really started learning how grownups learn, it was like a, like Pandora's box had opened. I'm like, oh, this is what I want to be doing. So I, I think really what got me from what I was doing then to what I'm doing now is really thinking about where do I get lost in time. I had a friend um, ask me that question as I was discerning whether or not to search. She's like, when you sit down in a day and you lose a track of time because you're so excited about the project that you're working on, what is that? And before she even finished her sentence, the answer was, oh, training. Like I can be in a PowerPoint for five hours of figuring out the slides and the colors and now we'll do this. And now here's an activity and, oh, I'll make a job aid. I'll do a worksheet. I mean, I'm, I'm losing track of time now talking about it. <laughs> um, so really thinking about where do, what am I good at? What do people need? And what could I do in a sustainable fashion. Because there were some things in my job that I loved doing. I loved recruiting. Um, I loved um, getting candidates and interviewing them. But at the end of a search cycle, I'd be like, oh my God, I love that. But I'm so glad I'm not doing that full-time. I'm so glad I'm not a full-time recruiter because I feel like that would drain my energy versus giving me energy. Um, so the combination of real world experience with training of what I really loved and then this additional master's degree um, and then also frankly knowing what I could be paid doing this all sort of aligned for me. That's great. I, I think your idea of from birth to death learning, like I think we're going to be in continuous learning and something I'm just reminded of, we always say a uh, university was ideally a four-year experience. It's really going to be that 40-year experience. And I was having conversations with my learning team around like, how do we embed learning everywhere? So whether it's called just-in-time learning, sure. on-demand, it's how we learn yeah. in the flow of work. We're going to continuously need to train, upskill, retool in any industry, sector, discipline, or domain. And what does that mean to like explain it really well? Um, I really love that you're thinking about that um, in terms of who and what you support now. What did you kind of like shine to in your program in uh, training and development, human resource development? What was, your, what was your kind of, oh, I really like this aspect of this program. Like a lot of the training 
I knew in I knew in practice, but now I knew it in theory, which is often like reverse. Usually you're learning about the theories and then, okay, now go practice that in an internship or your job or an activity. And my learning was reversed. So it sort of gave me purpose and rationale behind the good stuff I was doing and was a really great, oh my God, Marcy, stop doing that. That's embarrassing that nobody knows any better, (laughs) but that is not best practice and you should stop that. Um, So that was something. Um, I think another piece, we had this incredible class on career development. And in my mind, that was just sort of like being a good supervisor of like, of course, we're going to talk about this, but there's this whole field. And what would it mean to be a career coach or an executive coach? And that really kind of took my took my uh, blinders off, if you will. Um, there was a really great book that we had. Oh, it's super small. It has helped them grow or watch them go. Career Conversations Employees Want by Beverly Kay. But it was basically hundreds and hundreds of questions that a boss could ask um, an employee to help them think about career development as a daily, hour by hour, minute by minute, not this thing that we do sometimes so we can say that we've done it, check the box, but it was about how to integrate career development conversations into every single day. Um, And that I had never thought about before. Really great reframe of like career development is something you should do every single day. You should be thinking of this task as a way to develop your skills, not just, oh, well, I'll update my resume this month and like check career development is done. I love, I love it. it. Um, a past episode I played was me talking about how I love coaching these days. Um, my book for you, I, which I have right here, because I just did something is called Coaching Questions. Um, love it. A oh, Coach's Guide to Powerful Asking Skills by Tony Stoltzfus. And in it, it's, it is asking uh, us to reflect more. Like we don't take pause. And uh, I think if you came from any sort of student services, student affairs, student development background, you're like, we talk about those all the time and have one-on-ones. That doesn't always happen everywhere. So I think having those intentional conversations, whether it's in a coaching format or uh, a manager supervision leadership format, or thinking about um, supporting someone as a mentor or advocate, I I love that you bring that up is we need to pause, ask questions, and then Mm -hmm. hold that space for someone to answer and think about it. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a great several aha moments during that particular class. Um, and the professor, they they bring in adjunct. She was the global VP of um, HR development for Procter & Gamble because they're located in Cincinnati. So to be able to hear from somebody who was doing this on, on a global scale, she just like casually dropped one day that she has like 280 people that report to her and we're like, Tell us more about that. She's like, I guess that is a lot of people now that you think about it. I'm like, Christy, oh my God, yes. Um, (laughs) That was a really, a really great experience for me. I think that's really cool. Some of what we learn can be in practice, like you said, and some of it can be textbook or read. And and it's the combination of the two that it sounds like you're really kind of weaving together. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there any kind of go-to resources? So you're entering into the field of I, I call it talent development. Are there any kind of like resources that you want to share with folks who are like, I want to learn more, or this sounds interesting to me that you really like? Yeah. Um, a lot of my development and interest in everything 
um, student affairs wise, my connections really started on Twitter. So I've been trying to get into L&D um, as well as just general HR stuff on Twitter. So there's a lot of great people. There's um, an uh, HR social hour, which is once a week a chat, which is helpful. I haven't jumped in yet, but it's really great to kind of lurk and learn as people say. There is also a woman, she uh, is up in Columbus. Her name is Kara North and she is an instructional designer. Um, So I'm not, I don't have any of the tech skills to be an instructional designer, but she veers into L&D a lot. Um, And she is incredibly generous with her time and talent. She will do free webinars all the time. She will, I actually just this weekend, she did a free basically like a live stream of like, I'm going to use Camtastic for a couple of hours. So you guys can just like watch what it's like. Um, And her LinkedIn is also incredible. She will send you, um, she will text you jobs. She will um, do all kinds of things. So those are awesome. And then I've also got connected with my local um, association for talent development, um, the greater Cincinnati one. So that went to an in-person conference, which was great, and then have done some online learning with them as well. I love it. Uh, Kara used to work in my organization, so I am familiar with oh, no way. their work. Small yeah, world. yeah. And uh, also uh, TD, ATD, um, Talent Development is an uh, international org, but has ch- local chapters, which I'm glad you brought up because there's local chapters around that are really great to connect to. Um, big fan, I think I've talked about in this, maybe I haven't talked about in this podcast, but I did my CPLPS, Scott Certified Lost. Oh, nice fall in the new program so it's now called the cptd we like to rephrase (laughs) things uh certified professional and talent development uh they have a couple different versions they have a and two different kind of steps you can do depending on your experience in the field um i'm happy to link to some of those resources too yeah Post-production Laura here just to chime in. There is a webinar happening this Thursday from the ATD Association with a few of us on a panel on the value of certification for your employers. So I'm going to be on a panel with a few others who have their uh, CPTD, APTD certifications from the Association of Talent Development. I'll put a link into the show notes if you're interested. Back to the conversation. Oh, and one other thing, which I forgot about because it ended up being canceled, but um, I was all signed up to go to the ATD conference that was in person. um, And one of my friends gave me a tip that, I mean, it is not expensive when you're talking about corporations, but it is really expensive if you're on a higher ed budget. Yeah. Um, But if you volunteer, every day that you volunteer is a free day of the conference. Um, And if you're strategic, like I was, you sign up to be a session moderator and then you just like get in that in that schedule really quickly. And you're basically sitting in sessions for free. Um, So I signed up for three days. I was going to basically have registration comped um, and then, you know, COVID happened, but I would definitely be doing that um, in the future. And there was a really robust Slack channel of volunteers. So I was networking before I even got there, which was also really awesome. Those are great tips. I know that as a grad student, I got in early in TD and they have a great, they have a student rate if you're working, if you're going full time. Um, and some of those regulations maybe uh, laxed a bit, but volunteering for virtual events, in-person events is a great suggestion because I think organizations are really open to people getting like discounted rates, free rates mm-hmm. in. So that's really helpful to hear. No, that's great. Yes, the cost of conferences do go up when you enter into corporate training and development. What is something else that you kind of learned that's the same or different between uh, higher ed adult learning versus where you are now? Mm, 
Um, I would say the kind of inception level nesting doll is that the amount of training I have received in this position is far less than what I've gotten anywhere else in higher ed. Um, but it's also been extraordinarily self-directed. Um, I was given a lot more trust. There was a lot less uh, spoon feeding is maybe the, the best way, hand-holding. Um, and, you know, some of that is is just the topics. Like, I'm not in charge of anybody's mental health or, you know, supporting a survivor of uh, sexual assault. So it is less XYZ or stuff bad stuff will happen. Um, but it was very much, I had a, I had a daily check-in with my boss. He would say, you know, how are things going? What do you need help in? What questions arose? I did one-on-ones with everyone on my team. Um, and then I basically observed. So they were all doing online learning and I would just, I made my own schedule. I popped in when I wanted to, I popped out when I wanted to. Um, and it was basically, we hired you and we trust that you know what you're doing. Um, I have been waiting for somebody to like (laughs) sort of, you know, like in Scooby-Doo where they like pull the mask off and it's the old man. I've like been waiting for that moment. Um, But it hasn't happened yet. You know, there's no prove yourself. There is no, we're going to slowly like see if you can do this. It is, we hired you. So of course you can do that. And I think that kind of assumption um, was not something that I was anticipating, frankly. Yeah, you could make a good call out. Self-directedness is you do want to, you have to drive the bus on your own, mm-hmm. like learning and what you, how you onboard. I had a nice onboarding ramp myself, like, uh, which I was like, we never really did a three month onboarding planning. This is great. Or thinking about what it looks like to um, now direct what do you want to do next in your career. So it sounds like it's been a pretty exciting opportunity. What's something that um, you might caution folks as they, if they are thinking about pivoting into uh, non-higher ed work that they should think about or ask about mm-hmm. maybe at an interview? Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me going fully, uh, fully work from home in a very independent team is something that I, is, is kind of hard to gauge. So, I mean, I, in my previous higher ed job, non-COVID, I was in an office. Um, my office was the very first one in the whole residence life department. So if somebody was coming into the office, I saw them. And more often than not, they would stop and chat, which was great. Like there was a lot of relationship building. There was a lot of brief conversations, but it was also really hard to get anything done. <laughs> um, and then when I would close my door, it would be, oh, Marcy's literally closed off. She's unapproachable. And I'm like, guys, sometimes I literally just have to do the job I'm paid for, not like hang out all the time. And I'm sorry, I'm not sorry about that. Um, So there are a lot of interesting dynamics, I think, also about um, what is expected of women in higher ed workplaces of being that open and talk anytime and stop anytime. And I'll just take the work home with me. Don't worry about it. Um, So going from that type of environment uh, to what I am now, where I'm basically, call me if you need me. Otherwise, like you're doing your own thing is a pretty big switch. Um, like we don't have regular staff meetings. Um, I don't have like weekly one-on-ones with my boss, which I've had since I was 19 and was a resident assistant, um, which, but 
but the amount of work that I am getting done and the less stress that I have is completely worth it. So I have had to be really intentional about being social in other ways and kind of getting that that fix in. So I think asking questions, especially if it's a work from home role um, and knowing what you need, you know, there's probably introverts in the audience who are like, oh my God, that sounds like the dream. Can I do that job? (laughs) Yes. Hell yes. And then extroverts who are like, that sounds like hell on earth. Um, I fall somewhere in the middle. I'm, um, I can get energy in a lot of different ways. So like me texting with my friends all day is totally fine. I don't need that in person to kind of fill my cup. But if you need that, you need to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I had another friend who just started work from home and they're like, oh, we have daily team check-ins and I have, you know, one-on-ones with everybody every week. Um, and that was because they're all work from home. So they can stay connected. I'm like, I feel like that would be really draining because I would be so worried that I'm not getting to my work. Um, So really asking some of those questions. How often do you meet? What does that look like? You know, how is conflict managed in a remote environment um, to really see if that is right for you? Or because we're still in a pandemic, it feels right right now. Um, Something that was important for me in this search was thinking about my happiness like six months to a year from now and not exiting out of a process because it wasn't right right now. So like this is, I'm, it's pretty isolating, but like I get my second vaccine this weekend. Um, It's work from anywhere. So like I could go visit my friend in Minneapolis for a week and work in his spare bedroom. I could never, ever do that in a higher ed job. So I really needed to make the decision for kind of like post-COVID, not where I am at this moment in time, which I would also think is a pretty good tip for folks. Yeah, I think that's a great suggestion, calling out like your escape hatch. Are you escaping because it's in the moment or six months from now, what will things look like? Absolutely. And the other aspect you brought up is the team on how you team Mm -hmm. because you're right uh, whether you're introvert or extrovert um teaming looks different now and you still want to evaluate kind of like what's that culture of the team like you're not going to say what's the culture um a good article i read in inc was like what ask how they started their last team meeting and how frequently do they meet yes Uh, i read that article and had some really pointed questions where i'm like I've been running searches for years and I've never been asked this question or never thought to ask it, which was awesome. You know, ask the manager, when is the last time somebody challenged you? When is the last time you overturned one of your decisions? You know, thinking about some of those things in in new ways, um, I think is really helpful, especially if you're changing industries in your search. Totally. And you should listen for those questions that they asked you. So like I got repeatedly asked of, when's the last time you failed? How did that feel? What did you do? I'm like, these are hard. I'm digging deep, but I love this. I I do want to work here. So like, think about the questions you're being asked because that Mm -hmm. also reflects the team you would come into and maybe even that culture in the org. Um, I love this because I think you're also thinking about long-term you. And I I worry because some of our listeners, whether they're in higher ed or in another org, they're thinking, I need to jump ship because this Mm -hmm. one's going down or I can't deal with it anymore. Um, are there ways that you're talking to folks that maybe have approached you to say, what are the, like, are there questions you ask them bef- as they're thinking about their own search and if they're interested in pivoting because they have to, or because mm-hmm. they want to. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. Um, after a couple of Facebook posts in a, in that popular expat group, people, I 
I think I have like five or six phone calls lined up in the next couple of weeks because people are interested. Not that I'm so great, but just like I put you my are, story out. Besides put that. My- <laughs> besides <laughs> well, okay. that. Okay, fine, fine. I'm awesome and people want to talk to me. Um, but a lot of those questions are really about, are you, and I didn't come up with this, are you running from something or are you running to something? So are you trying to get out no matter what? Um, Because I feel like that will really come through in interviews. That desperation, I think, seeps through, maybe even on an unconscious level to interviewers. Um, Or are you okay, but not great is kind of how I would describe my, my previous position. I felt like I had just kind of gotten what I could out of it. And what I was enjoying was not worth it for what I was not enjoying. Um, it was just, it had finally flipped for me. Um, and then also what does success look like for you? I think a lot of higher ed, um, and some of that is the, the, the mental piece of it is that it's your identity. And that was really challenge challenging for me. Cause I felt like I had done everything right. Um, you know, I was presenting at conferences. I was being asked to chair national conferences. I was networking. I knew the right people. I was in the right groups. Like I had the right network. Um, I went from entry level to mid level to mid to senior level um, in about a decade. So, like all of that felt like what that's what I was supposed to do. And I think it's asking yourself questions about like, well, according to whom? Um, who is it that this is quote unquote the right thing? Um, you know, I've received a lot of emails and you know DMs of like, "Are you serious? You, you're leaving. You're like the higher ed person. You're the res life person. I never thought you would leave." Um, and I think that surprise factor is because of sort of this like really linear path. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually in that career development class, we learned about the difference between like the career ladder of like, it is linear, you go up or you go down versus a career lattice where you may go diagonally, you may go down a little bit, you may move over, but all of that is momentum. Um, and it really comes down to what type of life you want to have. Um, you know, I want more of a life outside of work. I don't, I didn't want to be on call anymore. I did not ever want to interact with a parent again. I was just kind of done. Um, So really thinking about what are you going to be losing, but what will you be gaining? And who is that important to were some things I really had to kind of muddle through. You tap on what I talked to so many of my coaching clients about. It's it's identity work, Mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a Hermina... Romania Ibera wrote this book on working identity. And I do think we are so caught up in the, who we've developed that mm-hmm. stepping outside of who we know personally and professionally is scary to say, mm-hmm. I want to do something else. And you don't have to leave that all behind. I think it's, um, she talks about crafting small experiments and doing what you're doing is finding little networks, shifting connections, and then making kind of a sense of where you're going to go next. And I think it's all possible to do. But you have to do that internal work that you just said. It's yep. like, yep, this for me. Is this success? What mm-hmm. else do I want? I, I love mm-hmm. that you're framing it that way. 
Do you think there's anything else people need to do before they're thinking about making a jump? So we've said like this, the questioning, the introspection, self-reflection. Is there anything else that kind of supported you or scaffolded you as you were pivoting out of higher ed and going towards a new... Again, not my words. I don't know where I heard them, but building your network before you need it is super important. Um, So I called in multiple favors during this time. Um, I actually ended up certain points with three different job offers. Um, and one of them was, don't get me wrong, like I did pretty well, but I know I got into the door because three different people who were in student affairs knew people who worked at this nonprofit and sent emails on my behalf. Um, one person knew somebody who was doing the exact job I was doing. One person knew my would-be boss. And then the next person knew the president of the organization. Um, but if I, so it was, it's not only knowing that network, but being, um, getting your ego out of the way, that was a piece too, to be able to ask for that. That was hard for me. That mm. was like, I'm going to test the waters and, you know, tell a couple of my really closest, you know, colleagues and friends and, and networked people that I'm soft searching, um, you know, here is where. I'm thinking about and then saying, you know, do you know anybody? I notice that you're friends with them on Facebook. I notice that your connection, you're connected on LinkedIn. Um, and I think what the the um, the lesson from that is that people will do more for you than you ever consider. Um, the the emails that were sent on my behalf, I was like crying at my desk because I'm like, oh my God, like you've paid attention. You care about me. This took at least a half an hour for you to type up. Um, and the thing is then I would have to reverse it in my head. I'm like, but of course I would do that for them. Like, of course I would do the exact same thing. So if you would provide that for somebody, they are going to provide it for you. Um, but then on the back end of that, they wouldn't do that if I hadn't been, you know, a person of integrity and hard work and, you know, they're not going to lie in my behalf. So a lot of that, those steps throughout the years brought it to the point where people can now vouch for you. So thinking, you know, I think so often our, our, unfortunately our young professionals are like, well, I'm just going to do this job for two or three years and I don't care how I leave it and, and I'm gone. Um, I'm like your impression has lasted. Um, and whether or not you stay in the field or not, the world is a small world. The connections that people have made are wild. Um, one of my former RAs, I supervised him nine years ago. He has since been, um, he's done all types of law work and he just got into Harvard Law and wants to be a graduate assistant. And I know the director um, from five years ago. I never in a million years when I was supervising him as an RA would have thought to myself, all right, in 10 years, I'm going to write you like a kick-ass letter of recommendation, but here we are. So doing good for the sake of doing good will pay off more than you realize really, I think when you most need it. I love it. RA is resident assistant for those who didn't come from the res life world. Um, (laughs) I will say you're just saying a lot of earning trust. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a big thing is earning trust by the work you're doing and making small incremental investments. And 
Marcy, you said it right. Like you're going to build this over time and with people and the work you do, um, integrity, what you contribute and what you pay back and forth. It's almost like you've got your uh, referrals into other places, wrote you like little eulogies about you and your work. Like I'm not saying... It's death in higher ed because you could go back, but <laughs> yes, they're, yes. they're giving you claim of what you did in the field at a role at an organization or an institution. And I, I love that because you're kind of reading it while you're still alive and getting exactly. some idea. Yes. Give me my flowers while I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> um, thinking about you did have to shift out of uh, one and you did this, you did this professionally, you did a degree um, to upskill into the field, but, and it's not like you probably needed it, but you did it for you. Cause when you work in higher ed, you, you alluded to this, some institutions pay for your tuition when you work in an academic place. That's why I stayed in higher ed for some time um, is working there, got a discount or free tuition. Um, mm-hmm. But now that you're leaving what are you taking from your higher ed experience into your role now that you probably wouldn't have if you didn't have that time in residence life or student mm-hmm. affairs? I definitely think the work ethic is something that I will take with me. Um, I think that higher ed has, I mean, don't get me wrong, it has a ton of problems, but there are also people that will just put their head down and do the work and not complain because it, you do what has to be done. Um, I think with, especially within residence life, when you are on duty or on call or dealing with oftentimes people's worst day of their life, um, you are really able to kind of extricate yourself out of that. Um, so I think that is definitely something I'm taking with me. Um, I think the ability to engage people in uh, training and development in a way that they are learning while enjoying themselves. Um, I was talking to my boss the other day and he's like, you know, you'll have some really critical audiences. And I said, I'm sure I will, but there is nothing like a 19 year old who thinks he knows absolutely everything being able to win that person over, um, whether it's through, you know, humor or, you know, the type of um, activities that we do or the reflection questions, that is definitely a skill. I'm like, there is no tougher critic than a know-it-all college student. And I love (laughs) know-it-all college students. I work with them forever. Um, But I, the confidence that I got from going into a room of a hundred and looking at all of them, I'm like, by the end of this, you are not only going to be able to do the skill, but you're going to be jazzed to do it. Um, it's something I'm going to take with me into any type of training job in the future. Definitely a confidence booster. If you can win those over, I agree. Um, <laughs> uh, are there any new ideas or projects now on your horizon besides a new job? You, you are definitely acclimatizing to that. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you're working on that you want to share with our listeners so they can get to know what you've been working on on the side or with your work yeah. and learning? Yeah, absolutely. So um, actually just this morning, and this is one of those where like, you know, you put your story out into the world and you don't know what's going to happen. One, this podcast, which was great. Um, So I'm actually working. um, I think she was actually on your podcast, Monica Bachman. So we are going to put together a webinar actually um, that will be on April 27th, um, 2021. Um, So we are going to do basically like half narrative sharing from me of, you know, 
in the field for more than a decade. Why did you pivot? How did you do it? Talk about this tracker that I did. Talk about my materials. Um, and then she is a career coach. Um, so then she'll do a little more technical pieces and then allow for some um, Q&A at the end. So that is the project du jour. Um, and then frankly, this is my third week on the job and I am starting trainings tomorrow. Um, so I am very focused on okay, how do I share the screen properly? And, you know, does it sound okay? And really getting integrated in that sense. Um, but really, as people have been kind of approaching me, thinking about, you know, could coaching, could some sort of consulting business, could any of that type of stuff kind of get off the ground? Because um, the, you know, my story has, I think, landed with some folks. Um, so if I could reach more people, that might be something in the next, you know, six months or so, I could see myself developing as well. Cool. Uh, we will stay tuned to your story and we invite people to come back. So yes, we'd love to hear where you're going and we'll share if you have the webinar that you and Monica are doing, we'd love to share friends of the pods stuff. So happy to do that. Awesome. Um, is there a story that's resonating with you lately that you want to share? It could be book, film, podcast, TV. Um, so not necessarily any of those, but I, over the quarantine have become, I really, sounds so immature, but I've really gotten into Instagram, like hardcore, um, and like memes have become my thing. Um, so I'm like, all my friends are like, I only watch your story because it's really funny. So I've been collecting a lot of them. Um, I also over the Christmas break did like mini cooking videos because I can't cook or bake at all, but I was making a ton of treats. So that was fun. Um, but I found something yesterday that it like, it hit me to the core. Um, and it's just the sentence, peace is the new success. And that like, was a gut punch of like, yes, I am successful because I now feel at peace in my life with my home. It's not about balance. It's not about perfect harmony. It's just about being at peace as a form of success. Um, so I posted that on Instagram and, and folks have just, I mean, not my words, um, found it on some meme account somewhere. Um, but that really struck home for me of kind of where I am in the life and, and career transition for me. I think it's great. The piece reminds me like, just be and mm -hmm. that's all you got to be. Yep. Is there a go-to wine or beverage of your choice that you'd like to have when we get to gather again with friends in person or family yes. in person? Eventually. Um, so I was actually thinking long and hard about this. Um, so there I used to live, I lived in California for seven years and, you know, like the wine in California is like, I didn't drink enough wine is what I was really reflecting upon. <laughs> um, but there is, uh, there's a town uh, north of Santa Barbara called Solvang, and it's Dutch inspired, but they are known for their winery. So my favorite winery there is called Buttonwood Winery. Um, and I crave um, one of their wines and it is um, it's a Syrah Rosé um, so it mm. goes really well with a lot of different foods um, I am both don't love like white wines that are really oaky um, but I also don't love red wines that are really tanniny um, so this is a really nice in-between kind of 
everybody loves it. Um, and I literally went on their website and I was like, I'm shipping myself a bottle of wine <laughs> or maybe a crate of wine, <laughs> a box of wine um, from this place. So yeah, buttonwoodwinery.com. Um, really small, do very small amounts, but um, really high quality. So that's cool. my recommendation. I'm going to check that out. Um, and then before we wrap up, is there anything that's bringing you joy these days? Making- um yeah just to I mean I feel like I should close it out with my dogs um nice. my um it's really funny because one dog hates that I'm working from home all the time because he is an introvert and like hates that I'm around <laughs> so he is very angry that I'm here he on my first my um second day of work he's like oh my god you're really here all the time aren't you he spent seven hours in the backyard just like sleeping in the sunshine to get away from me um but then the other one Francis this is the best thing to ever happen to him um so he has not left my side and he has learned to be silent because he knows if he makes noise he doesn't get to be in my office so he has trained himself in two weeks to be silent as long as he can be next to me so he is completely quiet sitting right next to me and that brings me so much joy as well as really (laughs) annoying the older one that I'm home so much which I just think is so funny (laughs) it's just dagger after dagger from him (laughs) our pets our little fur people have uh so much personalities I love it um Thank you so much for taking a pause out of your day and having a conversation. Um, one, I'll give you a pass on a network you should get involved in on LinkedIn is Women in Learning. Hannah oh, Gore. Yeah, Hannah Gore was on our uh, podcast a couple of years ago and she does a lot of L&D work out in the UK. Um, she was in at the Open University of the UK, but has worked in L&D before. Um, and I'm trying to think of another one that's a good one. Um there are a couple other associations uh, besides the learning guild is one I'm becoming more acquainted with and training magazine uh, is more vocational. So those are a couple other ones. I'll just give shout outs if people want to get connected, but Marcy, I'm delighted that you're in our network and please come back and let us know what, what you're up to these days and how we can support your life and learning these days. Will do. This was absolutely delightful. Thanks so much for having me on. To catch the next episode, be sure to subscribe to InVinoFab wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at InVinoFab and we'll always welcome comments and messages sent by tweet, private message, or email at InVinoFabulum at gmail.com. Cheers! Cheers!